Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. In many ways, semi-truck drivers are like Santa Claus. But instead of delivering the goods we need and want once a year, truckers deliver every day. What's it like to be on the road so often? How do they find time to rest? What does the term supply chain issues mean to them? And how can we, the drivers of cars, be better at sharing the road? Later this hour, we'll talk with local truck drivers about life on the move. But first, we check in on Tennessee's controversial third grade retention law. Scheduled to take effect in just a few months, it would automatically hold back students who don't score at proficiency on the English portion of the state's year-end test. But parents and educators and even some lawmakers are now worried the state is not prepared for the law's unintended consequences or just how many students may actually be held back. Here to bring us an update is WPLN's education reporter, Alexis Marshall. Alexis, welcome back to This is Nashville. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. This is great to have you. So, okay, so Lexi, remind us of the original goal of the third grade retention law. Why was it written in the first place? Yeah, so this law was originally passed in a special education session in 2021 um, focused on pandemic learning loss. Uh, Lawmakers had gotten some uh, concerning statistics that uh, the majority of Tennessee third graders were not reading on grade level. um, And then the pandemic didn't do them any favors. And so they convened and decided to create this law. Uh, that would hold back students who don't meet that proficient level on the state's end-of-year test. Hmm. Now, okay, so lawmakers, they want to make changes even before it goes into effect. Tell me, what's the concern if students haven't even taken their tests yet? Yeah, I'm going to back up a little bit here and say that there are like some exceptions to the law. Okay. So um, if a kid doesn't score proficient, Uh, then they have the option to either go to summer camp or do tutoring for the full next school year. Um, And that would allow them, if they score approaching proficiency, to go on to the fourth grade. And if they score in the lowest category on the TCAP, then they'd have to do summer camp and the tutoring. Uh, But the real concern is just that we don't know how many students are are going to get affected by this law because they haven't taken their tests yet. Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell us about the amendments legislators are considered, that that they have considered this week. What's the biggest change they're proposing? Um, So they're proposing a, a couple of different things in this amendment that's moving through. One of them would be to add an assign an automatic tutor uh, to any student who is held back between kindergarten and third grade. And uh, another part of this bill would uh, make it easier for parents to appeal a retention decision. Right now, under the current law, parents have to do that basically by themselves. Mm. Um, and that involves going up to the State Board of Education. It can be kind of complicated for an individual to navigate. Uh, this amendment would 
allow principals, school counselors, teachers to kind of help them through that process. Okay, so you reported that they're also looking at changes to give a narrower pathway for students to advance and make it easier for parents to appeal these decisions. Are these concessions parents asked for? They're not exactly the ones that the parents I talked to were asking for. They really wanted those retention decisions to stay with locals who they say know students more on an individual basis and have a lot more measures to decide whether a student is proficient or not, not just a single test score. Um, And in fact, a Senate version of the amendment would actually take another test score into consideration, which is something that parents have asked for. Um, But it could actually end up giving those families even fewer options to move on to the fourth grade. Hmm. Um, There was some confusion about that measure during a Senate Education Committee this week. Um, Here's Senator Joey Hensley asking the sponsor, John Lundberg, about that. Some some questions about that. If they have above the 50th percentile on the benchmark, then they don't have to do the summer classes, but they do have to have a tutor. Yes, sir. Well, isn't that what they had to do anyway? If they fit in that category of approaching, they had the option of of doing the summer class or having a tutor. So isn't this doing the same thing? Chairman Lumberg, they'll have tutoring in fourth grade. So, So that's something that the law already kind of provides for is either tutoring or that summer intervention. Uh, but this amendment would actually require tutoring in the full next school year instead of giving them the option either or. It would just require the tutoring. Um, so th- you can hear some confusion in that committee meeting. And some of the folks writing and changing these laws, it, it seems like might not fully understand what's already on the books. Now, does it seem like lawmakers are open to more changes potentially? Um, so... They might be open to proposals, but we are kind of getting toward the end of the session here. Um, And and there's definitely an option. These bills that were put into the Senate and House this week were amended. So there's time for more amendments. Um, But really, folks are kind of moving forward with these proposals. They took a lot of other proposals off notice this week. Um, And the House Education Administration chairman, Mark White, says that he's glad that they're moving forward with this and glad that they passed that law back in 2021 uh, because now they have people's attention. Mm. Now, what we want to do from here once we uh, are able to move forward with with this is now we want to address K, pre-K, K1 and 2. And that's something that actually has broad support. Pretty much everybody agrees that we should be doing more to support literacy at an earlier age for Tennessee students so that they aren't falling far behind in the first place. What's really at stake here? Are we going to see a, a large chunk of Tennessee's children failing to go to the fourth grade now? The answer is we really don't know yet. Um, And that question was actually asked during a a committee meeting this week. Somebody asked, you know, how many students are going to get held back or go through with these interventions? The answer is we just don't know because the kids haven't taken the TCAP yet. And so uh, they're going to start taking that exam uh, next month. And we'll just have to see. Well, one thing we do know 
is that you'll be following this closely. That was WPLN education reporter Alexis Marshall. You can find her story on today's episode web post at thisisnashville.org. Lexi, thank you again for joining us and thank you for your reporting. Thank you so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll discover what driving an 18-wheeler is like when we talk with some local truckers. Are you a professional driver? What do you love about it? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Semi-truck drivers are key cogs in our country's marketplace. They haul everything we need from clothes to food, construction materials, even livestock. Truckers hit the road with a sense of adventure until they're sitting in rush hour traffic. We all got to do that, right? But what is it like to drive for a living? What does it take to become certified? How has the industry changed and what really goes down on the CB radio? My next guests can help answer those questions and more because they're all veteran truck drivers. Mandy Moore is a driver with TJ Rush Transports, and she is joined by Walter Sawyers, the owner and founder of Third Eye Trucking. Mandy, Walter, thank you for being here. and Welcome to This is Nashville. Hello. How you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Really great to have you both. So, you know, I want to hear how you both got into the industry. Mandy, we'll start with you. How did you become a truck driver? Uh, I happened to just by chance. You know, I was in the dental industry. I was working in insurance, um, clerical stuff. Never in the wildest dream decided I was going to drive a truck. I met a truck driver. We talked for about two and a half hours about the industry, what the options were um, and and his experiences. And I kid you not, that was on a Thursday night. That Friday morning, I took, put my two weeks notice in and I went to school and became a truck driver. You put your two weeks notice in immediately after that. So this one conversation made the difference. You said it was by chance. Where did you have this conversation? What went down? So we were actually sitting at um, a Hooters. I had just been stood up on a date wow. <laughs> and uh, I decided I was going to go in and watch a football game and just be by myself. Well, that didn't end up happening. I ended up having a whole life change, but <laughs> for the better. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The fortunate, um, the happy accident of being stood up, I guess. The happy accident. Wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> now, now, Walter, what about you? How did you make your way into trucking? Well, I got influenced by a friend of mine's. Uh, that I was at a down spiral at one point in time in my life. I was trying to find a way out, uh, something that could help me, you know, get some good funding, money, you know, that could actually provide a vision for me and my family. So I was just out there sitting one day, a friend walked up on me. He was like, hey, man, what you going to do? You know, mm -hmm. it seems like you in um, down downtime at your life, you know what I mean? Because you know my problems or whatever, so... Then he just said, man, why don't you just go out there and get into trucking? Mm. I said, huh? And then the light bulb popped on. You know, as a kid, my, my daddy used to drive trucks. Okay. So that brought back the memory. I said, man, my daddy did drive trucks, but the company that he drove for don't no longer exist. So I was like, man, if I know my daddy drove trucks, I can drive trucks too. So 
as he was like told me the rundown on how easy it was to get signed up and and I ain't think it was I thought it was hard. It was just it had to be going through training in order to uh jump into trucking. So when he told me the steps in the road, so how to get in the trucking and actually my first job as I called was PFG. Mm. And once as PFG said, Yeah, we'll hire you as soon as you get your <laughs> Your certification, man. I went down there like a road runner, BB. <laughs> okay, so so tell me, what's the process to become certified to drive? Well, the steps are new because when I came in, it was 2016 when I had uh, started trucking. And uh, when the steps are different, so now you have to have, well, I think uh, you, you was telling me earlier about the new entry level. They have a new steps. I don't. I'm not familiar with that. They're just something that they just started this year. What did you go through? I went through as going to uh, United Trucking in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, went through a three and a half week course. Um, uh, basically, that's what how long it took for me to get my certification there at that location. Okay. But now the steps are different. Where they want the new ELT, which is the the, um, the entry level training program. Gotcha. So. They are um, basically just done changed a lot of curriculum and how to get certified now that I'm just new up on, which they just passed that this year, you know, by within the last year. So I'm just still new to it, not understanding it all because, you know, I kind of like deal with truckers that have the experience already. But we are changing over to to new truck drivers that are coming into the um, transportation game. Okay, so tell me about like one of your first rides. What challenges did you encounter when you first got behind the wheel after you were certified? Man, my first encounter, like my worst experience in trucking? Yeah. Man, was following my phone GPS. Like I said, I hate to even tell this story. Every time I tell this story, <laughs> I get anxiety. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, That's man, heavy. because... Um, could have lost my life, man. Just not really following protocol or truck driving. You know, following your phone GPS is way different from the truck GPS. And I was trying to take a shortcut on the way back, trying to rush. And it was my mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, as uh, one late night up there in Sagonsville, Tennessee, um, I know I was heading down between some mountains. And it was a truck on the opposite side of the road. And that truck was on the other side of the road was flashing his lights. Me being a new truck driver, I'm like, well, I guess he said just be careful. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had something down there, but I wasn't thinking of what was that way. And um, as I kept going, whatever, then I actually noticed that there was a narrow road in front of me. And then the road got slimmer. Then it started going downhill. I said, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to do this. Oh, wow. I said, this was a mistake. And, you know, and that's when I was like, what should I do now? Now I'm down, so I say I can't go in reverse because it's hard because I'm up against the mountain wall. So it's just like, do what mm. you got to do. <laughs> you know, and um, once I start going down, I'm doing about 15 miles down this downhill slope. But I'm getting more nervous and scared because I know I'm somewhere I ain't got no business being because I follow my phone GPS and just mm. try to get a shortcut. And, man, that was my worst mistake. So okay. going down this mountain, I'm looking down, then I have to look over. I know I saw the streets. I'm seeing cars go by. I'm like, oh, oh, snap. Like, yeah, I mean, I know I'm really in a messed up place. But I was able to maneuver my truck, man. I don't know, God was with me that day. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, that night, you know what I'm saying? Because, man, they sent a lot of shock through me because I was like, 
I didn't know if to jump out. If I jumped out, the truck would go start sliding out the mountain. I didn't know what was going to happen. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like one of those situations. It sounds like, like a Sylvester Stallone movie or something. Sh- That's crazy. <laughs> okay, so Mandy, tell us, what was going through your mind as you were a rookie taking your first few trips? Well, I got really blessed. So the guy who I met ended up being my trainer. He went through the program to be a certified trainer within his company. And when I went to school, I got my license. He picked me up and he became my trainer. So I got super blessed um, because I knew the person who was training me and he was absolutely open and willing to, hey, where do you want to go and what do you want to see and what do you want to experience? So we did it all. I was like, I want to go to New Jersey. That was a mistake. Don't ever go to New Jersey. Um, I wanted to go through the mountains. I wanted to go through the snow. I wanted everything. So that's what we did. Okay, I'm from Jersey. What's wrong with Jersey? (laughs) I was born there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a truck driver, Jersey's great. Like, it really is. It's beautiful. I actually enjoy visiting there. Um, But as a truck driver, everything is narrow. Everything is tight. Everything is low. And everybody there drives like... Uh, what's a nice way to put it? (laughs) Okay, I agree with you. Driving on the New Jersey Turnpike is not the joy of life. I totally agree with you. It's not the joy. It's not. And so when you have 73 feet and 80,000 pounds and you've got cars zooming and zooming like, you know, like they own the road, um, it makes it very difficult. My first experience actually was, my first um, quote unquote accident was in New Jersey. I think that's why I have a um, and, you know, a Nick say against it. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my trainer was like, hey, all I want you to do is drive up there and park along the curb. I was like, no, I don't. I don't like that. I don't like that. I have to go in front of a truck and like park in front of a curb. I think that's a bad idea. And he's like, nah, you've got it. I'm like, OK, I got it. I didn't got it. Um, <laughs> as, as I was going, my trailer, not realizing how long I was because I'm new, my trailer clipped a guy's um, front end. Now, the one thing in Jersey, I will say the only reason I wasn't fired immediately for a very first accident in the first seven days is everybody in New Jersey can be bought. I've decided um, we just exchanged some cash. Hey, I'm so sorry for, you know, you know, messing up your fender or your bumper. Here's some cash. Please fix it. Please don't tell anybody. Quick thinking from a rookie driver. I love it. Now, my next guest has logged millions of miles as he's a longtime truck driver. Carl Koharik is the general manager. Clark, pardon me. Clark Koharik, pardon me about that. Sorry, sir. Is the general manager at Dillon Transportation, and he joins us now. Clark, thank you again for being here today. Well, thank you guys for inviting me. This would probably be my first and last time that anybody invites me to be on the radio. Oh, man. I'm sure we'll have more of that for you in the future. So, But tell me real quick, how long have you been in the industry? Uh my whole life. I started uh, when I was 16 with a learner's chauffeur license. And what uh, set this into, into motion was I watched Smokey and the Bandit, believe it or not. Nice. That's what sold it. I said, that's what I want to be. I mean, that just looks like so much fun. I want to be a trucker. One of know? my favorite movies from yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Okay, So take us back to when you first started. What was the trucker culture? What was it like back then? Uh, it was it was completely different than it is now. Uh it was deregulated in the late 70s. I think it was 78 or 79. I can't remember. And it opened up for a lot of carriers to enter the industry. And it started specialized transportation companies pulling certain kinds of commodity trailers. In the old days, you may pull a flatbed one day or a reefer trailer the next. You know, it was it was like that. One company had several different kinds of trailers. After deregulation, uh, 
they would either pull straight vans, straight flatbeds, straight reefers, whatever the case may be. That was one. That was one changes. Uh, the pros now is like better equipment and tele telematics and communication. Unfortunately, with all that, uh, with the changes of better equipment, telematics, there's more people, so there's more congestion on the highways, which is mm -hmm. uh, you know the cons, and the camaraderie has seems to uh, have gone. Uh, we used to stop each other on the highway uh, if they had a flat tire. If somebody had a flat tire, we'd call for help on the CB. Like we didn't have radios, we didn't have. I'm sorry. We didn't have uh, phones yeah. or anything that there's now. So if you broke down, there was no way to let your company know where you're at. So you would ask another driver to, hey, here's my number. Can you call my company and tell them where I'm at on the CB? Mm. And they would do that. Or they'd stop and help you fix what you want to do. Uh, they would uh, put your low beams on once you've passed them to clear to let you know it's clear to come by. And now everybody, they'll high beam you if they do anything at all. Wow. There's no camaraderie. Uh, it's just not as tight as it used to be, you so, know, the trucking industry with so, the drivers. So with more technology came less connection. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's something. Now, now, Walter, something interesting. Your company is set up to be a cooperative trucking business. Correct. Tell us about that and why you chose that business model. Well, co-op is... Basically, uh, a company that is uh, forming to help second chance individuals who want to start their life into trucking, want to get into transportation, and have an opportunity as to start their own company. Basically, they will come on to the program as um, our program is set up as where they will drive for us, learn all the techniques, all the basics, and how to run a company within the first year and 18 months. Mm. And then, as once we um, get them certified, get them as they understand the curriculum of the business. We give them ownership as a become part of the company so they can create and have the vision as everybody else that, you know, it takes a team. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, you can't do it all by yourself. And so we are just opening the door for individuals who want that opportunity, who wants to grow, create their distribution and basically and move to hire at new levels in the game. That's really awesome. That's yes. really cool. Now, Mandy, I understand you also have your own company. Why did you decide to start your own trucking business? Um, so I was driving for another company, and that's great. Being a company driver when you're first learning, it's really great. Um, but you are out a lot, you know, and when you have a family at home, you're missing out on a lot. And um, I had met um, another person who was interested in the business and also interested in, you know, my personal growth and was like, well, why don't we just do this on our own? And I was like, huh, okay, <laughs> yeah, let's do it on our own. And we did. Um, so that got me out of being a company driver and able to make better choices for myself and my time. Um, I got more time with my family. And ultimately, you know, um, while yes, there is a lot of money that goes in, there's also a lot of money to be made. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you all about that in a second. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about what it's like to be a trucker in our town with Mandy Moore, Walter Sawyers, and Carl Koharik. Are you a trucker? We want to hear Clark Koharik. <laughs> man, I'm, I'm, it's right. Friday. It right. I apologize right. about that. Yeah. You know, are you a trucker? We want to hear you and about your Nashville driving stories. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, I'm interested in the pay model and how it works. You know, 
Mandy, are you all paid per trip? Is it mileage? Is it a flat rate? How do truckers make their money? Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that that happens. Um, but mostly for what I understand is that most people follow the model of cents per mile. Um, but basically you are given an amount that says, hey, a broker will reach out and say, hey, I have a load that I want to go from Nashville to Louisville and we will give you X amount of dollars. Then there's some negotiating with um, our dispatch team who does a great job, just want to give that shout out right there, um, who does a great job of negotiating the best rate that they possibly can for our company. Um, and then they send over an agreement. We sign it. They sign it. We move it. They pay us. That sounds pretty simple. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. That's how it on, works. The, on the outside. <laughs> that's, the, that's the A to B part of it. <laughs> yeah. What difficulties and challenges come with that? Uh, detention. Uh, detention is something as being held up on a load that can pretty much mess up the production of your company's flow. You know, I'm for sure that every company has a quota to meet, you know, every week. And by getting delayed at a shipper or a receiver, you know, that can throw off production because you might have to miss out on the next load that was scheduled to be picked up. Mm. Okay. Yeah, those are the factors that comes into that. And then as for that pay, it would be what is called accessory fees. And that's when the added extra, you know, if we get held up at a ship or a receiver for detention or layover or whatever may have you, that's how the extra fees costs come into the rate of what was uh confirm what was our confirmation okay. of what we agreed to. Okay. Now, you know, we see so much out there on the road and a lot of driving is unsafe. I would say maybe Nashville drivers tend to be unsafe. Um, yeah. How can people share the road safely with semi trucks, Clark? Well, that's kind of a kind of personal interest to me. Uh, there's a lot of road rage going out there, and you guys see it on the TV, on the radio. Uh, everybody needs to stop and step back before they act out. Any actions that may be perceived as intentional assault on you as a person. You know, that's that's where the people are taking it, you know. Mm. Uh, there are many drivers on the road that have not had the proper training also, and they to drive, they might be driving in a way that offends people, and they don't even realize it. For instance, like tailgating. They they might not even know that they're tailgating another driver and uh, that it's wrong, you know. And, of course, the other driver is going to maybe lash out and do things that because he, he feels threatened. His safety mm -hmm. is... Uh, his safety space is being taken away from him by the, that person tailgater. Uh, this simple things like training, uh, examples of like not using turn signals, following too close, driving in a lane that is not appropriate for the speed. I don't know if everybody's seen that. Oh, seen, yeah. Seen a car going 35 in the fast lane. Uh, riding alongside of a truck in the no zone is another place you don't want to do. Oh, okay, so oh. what is the no zone? Okay, uh, the no zone is the area around a tractor trailer that the driver can't see you, that you can hide depending on the vehicle, you could hide and he can't see out of your mirrors. Now, keep that in mind that a driver has got to keep track of everybody around him all the time. You've got to know, even if you're in uh, traffic, you got to know where every car is at. And it's hard to do, but you, that's what you, your part of scan is. But if you get in that no zone for a long time, the driver might forget you're there and he'll come over on you. So is that no zone directly beside the truck? 
Uh, yeah, you got one in the front, one in the back, and both sides right behind the seat. Uh, okay. If you could just picture where the sleeper is, that's, mm -hmm. that's a bad place to stay. And also right in the front. This depending on what kind of truck it is. You take a, a large hooded truck, like say a Peterbilt extended hood, and that's even less of you can see of that vehicle. So uh, what, what I advise everybody is stay the heck away from trucks. You know, I, I stay away from trucks. You never know when they're going to blow a tire, you know, pass them, get down the road, stay away from them. Uh, uh, I, I got a, a couple of things I recommend to my drivers and everything. as yeah. a little, little Ackerman. Please. Uh, that I use. Uh, so I recommend this for everybody. If you find yourself in a situation that you're getting, your blood pressure is getting up, stop it for a second and take a grip of the situation. Is this really that important? Somebody's tailgating. Are you really, are, I mean, is this really a big deal you mm -hmm. know, for you? Like this stop. Okay. Uh, take a breath, breathe, you know, start breathing. I know it sounds ridiculously silly, but it really works. You know, a friend of mine taught me this acronym and it actually works for me and it works for a lot of people. Uh, uh, next thing you want to do is just get calmed down, you know, observe what you're upset about. What is the real issue? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just don't get it out of context and just you. pull out your gun and start shooting. You know, this, this guy might not even know how to drive. It might be his first week. You know, I think we all just need to have a little bit more patience where everybody's in such a hurry. I mean, I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty. We're in a hurry. You know, I, I have to say I have been guilty trying to get to work, um, cutting in front of a few trucks. I will say that. I apologize yeah. to you both. On uh, Please share that with the other truckers out there. Now, I want to get to some of the fun stuff with the CBs and the CB nicknames and what have you. Okay. You know, what is Nashville's CB nickname? How do truckers refer to Nashville? Well, I, I don't use CB just for a lot of reasons, man. It's, some of them guys on there just, I had my experience with CBs at late night, man. Some of them guys can be just outright disrespectful. They they create problems. Like truckers, you know, like you say, they all have their way of conducting themselves as drivers. Mm -hmm. And and it just be a lot of extra going on on them CBs that everybody not doing right with those CBs. Well, they, well, well, what are some of the, let's say, more uh, PC or PG <laughs> CB okay. terms right. out there? Okay, yeah, so you might want to give you that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on the other end of it. You know, I, I can't go down the road without a CB just for the fact that I need to know what's going on out there for the traffic. I just, I try to squelch it up so I don't have to hear that kind of stuff going on. But I need to know, and a lot of people need to know what's out there. Uh, is it roadblocked? Am I going to fix it? Come around a corner and everybody stopped? I just like to know what's happening out there, and you can find it on the CB usually. Now, some of the stuff we used to, uh, you, the verbiage. Tell me this. What does feeding the bear mean? Uh, feeding the bear is that when somebody has got pulled over and they're getting a ticket. That's what we say. Hey, uh, oh, there's wow. a car over here. He's, he's feeding the bear. Nashville is actually got a couple names. Uh, if you're going to Nashville, you're saying, hey, I'm going to music or I'm going to guitar. Okay. That's what they call Nashville. Every city's got a little name to it. Okay. Uh, I know probably people heard about this. Keep the sunny side up and the rubber side down. That means, you know, keep it upright instead of on the side. Oh, nice. Over. Okay. Uh, what are go-go girls? Go-go uh, girls are uh, uh, cattle or livestock because okay. they move around. That's just an acronym for, okay. for that right there. And uh, How about 1010 on the side? 1010, uh, you're just uh, backing off the conversation. And you're just listening. Okay. So you say, hey, uh, let's go. I'm just riding with you 1010 on the side. It used to be a lot more fun than it is now, you know, because you would meet people that you know 
Mm. Not personally, but you see him on the road every week. Mm-hmm. Right now, now, Mandy, these days, do you use the CB much? Yes, absolutely. I won't go in a truck without a CB. Um, the CB has literally saved my life. Um, and ever since that, I can deal with the, and I understand, you know, what the other gentleman's saying. There is a lot of trash that happens on the CB. Um, but I try to tune a lot of that out and just stick to the basics and stick to the information and, and some of the camaraderie. You know, some of that is pretty fun if you can get the right group of people that you're traveling with. Mm-hmm. Now, Walter, if you don't use the CB much, what do you listen to when you're on the road? Well, I pretty much just listen to my music and just probably, if there's traffic up ahead, I just bear with it. You know, I don't try to dodge it. It is what it is. Um, I just go with the flow of the lane and what it gives me. And like I said, I don't be trying to look out. I just say, well, it's a part of truck. <laughs> you know, it has, uh, sometimes that it could be that you could be alarmed about there's an accident ahead that might held, hold you up. Sometimes that is important, but I guess if you look at, if you have the right, um, why I say the GPS, it'll give you those updates about what's going on on the road, Mm -hmm. um, such as a Rang McNally. Mm -hmm. If you have one of those, they'll tell you if it's traffic involved or, you know, things of that nature. So that's why I don't use the CB. What's on your playlist today? What's on my playlist today? Yeah. Um... Well, I don't have a playlist today. I'm off today. (laughs) (laughs) He's listening to the nice sounds of my day off. That I want to thank my guest. That's Walter Sawyers. He's the owner and founder of Third Eye Trucking. He was joined by Mandy Moore, five-year driver with TJ Russ Transports. Thank you both for being here. We'll be seeing you all on the road safely. And Clark Koharik will stick around with us through the break. And on this note, of music, we're going to go out by listening to the 1975 hit song Convoy by C.W. McCall. Negatory, Big Ben, you're still too close. Yeah, them hawk is starting to close up my sinuses. Mercy sakes, you better back off another 10. Well, we rolled up Interstate 44 like a rocket sled on rails. We tore up all of our. When we come back, we'll learn how the trucking industry plays a role in our supply chain. If you're waiting for your package, chances are a trucker is not to blame. Send us your questions and tweets at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. of every size. Yeah, them chicken coops was full of bears and choppers filled the skies. Well, we shot the line, we went for broke with a thousand screaming trucks and 11 long haired friends of Jesus in a chartreuse microphone. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been learning about the world of truckers gaining more insight into the industry. It's a lot more than loading and unloading a semi-truck. It takes a team to make sure the routes are safe and the schedules are right. But what makes the local trucking industry go? For that, I'd like to introduce my next guest. Joe DeLeo is the president of Chariot Logistics. Joe, Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Well, glad to be here. Happy to, um, happy to have you here with us. Now, yes, sir. You know, your company is known as is known as a broker for trucking. We heard a little bit about that earlier in the show, but can you give us a breakdown of what brokers do? Yeah, absolutely, I sure can. So, um, our role in the industry is we serve. Um, as the intermediary. So technically what a freight broker does is we arrange for the transportation of a shipment between a, uh, a shipper and a trucking company. So um, we work with trucking companies um, just like, uh, you know, the people you were talking with earlier. 
um, we contract them out to move freight that we have that we are contracted out to move. So we have customers that say, hey, Chariot, um, we have a load that we need moved from, say, Nashville to Chicago. Um, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. We say, okay, we can pick that load up for you. We then schedule the load. We schedule the pickup. We schedule the delivery. We arrange for that transportation. Um, part of arranging for that transportation is contracting out the driver as well. Um, so we set the appointments. We contract out the driver. Um, and then, you know, the talks that Melissa was having about the um, rate negotiation, that is what we do. So we're on the opposite side of that. So we negotiate a rate with the carrier. Um, we pay them um, the determined rate. And then obviously we make a margin on the load. So say we are contracted out to, you know, pay get paid a thousand dollars and we, you know, contract them out for nine hundred dollars, then we make a hundred dollars on that transaction. That's not that um, bad. Then because some truckers they think that brokers that act as middlemen ask take too large of a cut for deliveries. But you all seem to have a pretty fair rate. Is that the standard? Um, you know, all brokerages are going to be different. And when you're looking at it from a lane by lane perspective, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to vary. Um, beer brokerages are going to average anywhere from 10 to, you know, 15% margins. Um, so there is, that is a common misconception. And we do talk with a lot of carriers and, you know, they oftentimes think that we're making, you know, 50, you know, 50%, 60% margins, but um, really that's not the case. Um, we have to be very competitive um, within other, you know, within our industry to be, you know, the best cost provider as well. Um, so there's not really that inflated margin. So that is a misconception um, that I'm glad that you brought up. Mm -hmm. Now, Clark Koharik, general manager at Dillon Transportation is still with us. How do you interact with brokers? Uh, we work with several brokers uh, that we work with constantly, you know, for, for years. And we've established a nice history with, you know, and we can discuss rates and they're there to help us. I mean, we actually got some good brokers too. Not all brokers are bad. Like, you know, you mentioned earlier, there's, there's a bunch of good brokers out there that really are not out there to, to take all your money away from you mm -hmm. and you drive for nothing, you know? Yeah. There's a bunch of them, yeah. Maintaining that healthy relationship yeah. is important, huh? And, and they also uh, will help you with claims. The broker is always good for, to help you through a claim on a, on a freight claim okay, to get you, you know, taken care of, expedited. Okay. Know. Now, now, Joe, help us demystify how the supply chain actually works. Take us through it. Let, let's, let's consider like a ship docks in LA. Maybe it has a load of iPhones. How would that shipment get to Nashville? Okay. So a ship docks in LA, um, a load of iPhones obviously is going to be getting imported from you know China. Um, that's going to be coming over on a container. Um, so it's going to be on a vessel that's you know going from uh, you know wherever it was manufactured in Taiwan or or wherever over there, um, coming in inbound to the port of LA. So then it's going to be sitting on a ship. That ship is then going to be unloaded by a crane. So um, every individual container is going to be unloaded by a crane. Um, all these are, you know, obviously there's documentation that goes behind every individual container and what's on those containers with manifests and um, all, all, all of the documentation needed to know where everything goes. Um, but as each individual container um, gets unloaded and identified to where it needs to go, then what is coordinated is a drayage move. So um, what drayage is, is that is where... A trucking company who is, is carrying nothing but a chassis. So um, you you can maybe see them in port cities driving around. It looks just like wheels. There's no trailer on it. But what it is, it's a chassis, and he's going to the port to have a container loaded on top of that chassis. Mm -hmm. So um, 
a lot of things can happen from that point, depending on the distribution. When it's on the container, sometimes those containers are going to go to a warehouse. Um, sometimes they're going to go from a truck to the rail, so they'll go to a train. Um, so let's assume that it's going to a train. So from that perspective, say um, it goes onto a train from the port of LA, it's then drayed to the railhead in LA, um, and then it's put on a train, and then it is shipped from, say, Nashville to Chicago, which is a big freight hub in America. Um, okay. So it's transported by rail from, um, excuse me, Los Angeles to Chicago. Um, and then when it's in Chicago, it is then drayed again. So taken off the train um, by a truck with just a chassis, then that will then be taken to a distribution center where it could be broken down or sorted or picked and packed into whatever it needed to go. Um, however, whatever the load said, and then from there, it could be put on a truck, um, whether that um, transaction is um, handled by a broker or or however it's moved directly with a trucking company, then um, it's determined and it'll pick up in the distribution center in Chicago. And then it would ship, say, from Chicago via truck um, down to Nashville to another distribution center um, where then it would be dispersed locally to a store um, via, you know, whether it's direct shipping directly to the store, whether it's a courier service that's okay. delivering to the stores or however that final mile that, is done. That is a long, windy road. That's something else. Now, <laughs> you know, part of that is infrastructure is necessary, and we know our local infrastructure is not really the best. Clark, can you quickly tell us, you know, how do these poor roads and highways that we have out here, how does that negatively impact your business and consumers' wallets? So that's kind of a big concern also is the uh, deterring highway and the uh, truck parking. The truck parking is like the worst right now. The, the feds are actually trying to, there's a lot of money uh, earmarked for more parking in the United States, but we just don't have enough parking. Uh, with the ELD mandate that was in, enacted in night, uh, 2019, I'm sorry, a, a truck really cannot be moved if it's out of hours unless there are special conditions, circumstances surrounded. And if he did move it, it'd be in violation. So basically, a driver sometimes has to stop short of running out their available hours by one or more hours each day because there's no place to park when he, they would eventually get to where they're supposed to be going. Yeah. Uh, this affects both the driver and the carrier and loss of revenue and utilization for irregular route carriers like us. Now, some carriers have solved this issue with relay runs. This is where a driver, say, drives five hours one way, swaps with uh, another driver, a trailer, and it goes back to his terminal. So he does all that in 11 hours, fine, and he's home at night. Now, that's that's a perfect scenario. But there's this freight that doesn't fall into that category that, that you can do that. So you got these irregular carriers like ourselves. That's wow. just a couple problems that we have to have that, to deal with. That's yeah. some of the problems. Wow, it seems like a lot of problems. Yes or no question. That's the yes or no answer for me. Is the shortage of drivers really going to be a long-term problem for us here in the country i hope not how about that I hope not yeah. okay we're going to take a hope not yeah. i want to thank my guests that was clark coherick he's the general manager at dylan transportation he was joined by joe DeLeo, president of chariot logistics again gentlemen thank you for everything you do thanks for being on the show and it is friday thank the lord so you know what that means it's time for me to hop out of the studio and ride shotgun with a fellow middle tennessean this time i hitched a ride in an 18-wheeler with sean davis owner of tennessee's commercial driver's license school buckle up we're about to get our smoky and the bandit on
use that. I'll try to get this a little bit more cleaner for you. Oh man, it's but, all good. All right, we're in the cab, the famous cab. Yes. Now, I see here, this truck is automatic. Yes, this one is an automatic, yes. All right, how, how common is that? Actually, right now, manuals have generally been phased out. Okay. More owner-operators use them, but automatics, just because of their reliability, their fuel savings, clutches, you gotta, you gotta readjust the clutches, you gotta replace them, you know, then you have the regular wear and tear on the transmission. And a lot of new drivers, and even older drivers, sometimes patience isn't there. When you got into the game, were you trained on a, a manual? My first two trucks that I drove were, were manual, and then from then on it was automatic. Yeah. And, and honestly, if I'm getting paid to work, would I rather dig the ditch myself or have something dig the ditch for me and I supervise it? Come on, man. Work smarter, not harder. Correct. Yeah. So why do I want to sit here in rush hour traffic, construction, everything that happens out there with traffic, mm -hmm. as we all know, and it takes six gears just to get to 15 miles per hour sometimes. It, 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 why? Mm -hmm. Why well, could just be, you know? <laughs> just chilling on exactly. the brake. Exactly, that's the whole point. I'm with you. Listen, I've traveled every road in this here land. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Okay, so what are some of the things I and other drivers of cars like, what do we do that kind of gets on truckers' nerves? Impatience. Uh, I was going down uh, the interstate, and I had an uh, exit coming up. And that exit behind me was a car. And it was too impatient to wait for me. I'm going 60, 65 miles an hour. You know, they want to go, I guess, 70. And instead of waiting, they get around me and then cut me off just to get off that exit and got so close that my newer truck has safety features which sense how fast the vehicle is in front of me and is it too close and if it does then it puts on brakes okay i'm hauling this big old coil behind me big metal coil with chains and that amount of pressure to the brakes and stopping that quickly like that could have snapped them and, and, and killed me oh, you know wow. because i had to slam on the brakes because they, they couldn't wait they were too impatient and things like that, you'll see drivers are just too impatient around us. Gotcha. And they're too scared. And so they make bad decisions. And, and honestly, everyone that's driving around us needs to understand that we're slower moving vehicles. So it's gonna take me longer to get to that speed. Like right now, I'm just now getting to 35, yeah. right? And I've been going a little ways. It takes me a little while. So obviously, if you're behind me, it may take me a little while, when we start to, to stop getting close to the red light and I have my space accounted for that I need to stop, everyone wants to, oh, there's an opening here. I'm gonna scoot over, right? Yeah. And now that takes away my braking distance. Okay. And, and it's not safe, obviously. No. When I merge onto the freeway on my morning commute to work, I usually wait for those spaces yeah. in front of the trucks yeah. to yep. kind of creep in. Yep. Now I'm gonna be extra patient because I didn't realize that I was causing frustration for the driver. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we were using that space to gauge so we don't get too close. Okay. Right? He's bound down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? What do you enjoy most about it? I'm not rushing. 
I'm not sitting here going, I gotta hurry, 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 run hard, all this traffic, weave in and out, and let that stress overcome me or let the people get to me. Or I could be just slow, taking it easy. I got plenty of time. Someone gets in front of me, I have plenty of time to react. Mm -hmm. How hard is it really to sit back and just be safe and make money? Mm -hmm. I don't have to take phone calls all day about, you know, oh, this deal's about to fall through. You know, I don't have to worry about all of that. All I know is I got to get there. Yeah, that's the the zen of the truck driver. I was hauling hay, and I had taken it to a farm, and the only way to unload it that the, the gentleman had was this, this really old uh, tractor, and it just tore the ground up, and it was all muddy and everything, and so I got my tarps off to, that had covered the hay, and I had to roll them up. Well, it's a cow farm, so there's manure out there in the dirt and stuff like that. For a whole week, I could not get the smell of cow poop out of my truck and my clothes, and it was so obnoxious. Everywhere I'd go, they're like, whoa, and I just took a shower, you know? Yeah. And it's just, you could, I could not get rid of that smell. It took me forever. I had to deep clean that whole truck. You're getting all your food to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. Nice. Okay, so, you know, you're driving along. I did it as a kid, asking you to honk that horn. Oh, we love that. Please, let's bring it back. We don't see it enough. That tells us you appreciate us, and that's like a, you know, like a, a nod or a salute, you know? That's like, thank you, you know? And we see that those kids or the parents or whatever doing it, oh, it just it makes you that. Chuckin', got my chips cashed in. Keep truckin', like the dude man together. Riding Shotgun is supported by Xander Insurance. Thanks for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Geigos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutto. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Tony Gonzalez, Max Baker, Dan Palmy. David Owen, and Robert Kilhefner. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville, find us on Instagram, and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you Monday, everybody, and be good to each other. <laughs>